You are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church Carlisle, a local church in the south end of Louisville, Kentucky. For more information about the life of our church, visit us at SojournCarlisle.com. Uh, Today we embark on a new journey uh, as we transition from uh, what we talked about last year was our value of multi-ethnicity. We now transition to reevaluating our church's value of missionality by assessing our current mission statement. Um, So traditionally, a mission statement answers the question, why do you exist? Why do you exist? So um, to have a little fun this morning, I wanted to look up, and I did look up, uh, a couple of different mission statements. So what I want to do is I want to share some of those mission statements with you, and I would love to see if you can identify what company or organization they represent. So here's the first one. To create a better everyday life for many people. To create a better everyday life for many people. Any thoughts or idea, ideas, what company or organization would have that mission statement? GE, Apple, okay. Any others? Cool, that's fine, that's fine. Let's check it out. Let's see what, what it is. It is actually uh, this company here. I believe we have a, yeah, there we go. Ikea. How about this? This may be a little bit more simpler. To to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. To accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. The key word there is accelerate. Tesla, yes, very good, very good. That's that's very good. All right, here's a short one for you guys who love uh, uh, online debates and, and conversation. It's simply this, spread ideas. Not Twitter, close though. Not Facebook, but close. Not TikTok. Here it is. TED. TED Talks, right? That's what they do. They spread ideas, right? Last but not least, uh, my birthday is next week, so anybody wants to go here for me, feel free. Uh, To give customers the most compelling shopping experience possible. To give customers the most compelling shopping experience possible. Very close, but no. Now UPS, close. Amazon, not Amazon. Here we go. It's a, it's, a, it's a clothing store. I think we have it. If not, it's okay. Nordstrom. Nordstrom, right? Oh, everyone likes Nordstrom. You know, historically, Soldier Church um, has held the following mission statement, which I think is great and ideal. Uh, reach, build, sin. I think it speaks to um, the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of um, sojourn uh, historically and how it has grown over the years. So this is how it went, uh, how, kind of how the mantra went down. It said, reach people with the gospel, build them up as the church, and send them out into the world. I love that because it's cut dry. It's very simple. But one of the things that we are trying to think through as elders of our church is how do we provide a mission statement that is contextualized to where we are here in the South end of Louisville, and how do we build and how do we grow our church to provide an understanding of why we exist. 
So therefore, after uh, many months of prayer and consideration, going away for a retreat and praying some more, this is what we came up with, all right? So here is the aspect of our our mission statement that, again, uh, we'll have to continue to grow into. It says, engage the lost and the marginalized with the truth of the gospel, equip the church as a beautifully diverse people, and last but not least, empower all to live out the goodness of God's kingdom in South Louisville and beyond. Engage, equip, empower. Why do we exist? This is why we exist as a church. We exist to engage, and we'll talk about that today. Next week, we'll have Pastor Norm talk to us about what it means to be equipped as a beautifully diverse church. And then lastly, but definitely not least, Pastor Nick will end us and land the plane to help us to see what it means to empower, um, empower all to live out the goodness of God's kingdom in South Louisville and beyond. Would you bow your heads for a word of prayer with me as we begin and to talk about this um, in much more greater detail? Father, we do thank you for this time you've given us. We thank you that you love us and that you have died for us and you have rose for us and you are coming again for us. God, in all of that, uh, we um, realize that we are needy people. And we know that that could not have happened without your engagement with this world. Thank you that, God, when we messed up, when we decided to turn our backs on you, you never have turned your back on us. And, Father, that's why we have hope this morning. It's not because of the coffee we drank or because our kids are acting on their best behavior or because we just got paid last week. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Our hope is found in him being who he says he is, God's son born of a virgin, living a sinless life, and being resurrected for the forgiveness of our sins, and coming again so that every knee shall bow to the name of Jesus as he brings the presence and peace of God on earth from now throughout all eternity. We have that hope because of your engagement with us. Father, don't leave us by ourselves. I pray that you would be with both those who are weak and weary and those who are strong and joyful. God, be with the skeptic as well. There are maybe people who are in our midst not knowing or fully understanding why we are even gathered here talking about Jesus and talking about God. Be with us. Meet us where we are as only you can. Hide me behind your cross, Father, and I'll take the little I have and make much of it as you always do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we begin, I want to Uh, give uh, a couple of precursors about uh, where we're headed and to also give some aspects of some of my hopes, my dreams, and desires as we walk through these next three weeks together. So um, let me take a pastoral pause just to share a couple of thoughts with you um, as we begin this morning. So number one, uh, it's my hope that uh, you'll be inspired to know and remember God's great love for you individually but also his great love for us collectively as his beloved ecclesia, um, that means church in Greek, but called out ones, that we are those who have been called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. And the only way that that can happen is through the engagement that God has, um, has planned even beforehand, uh, before time, and has exhibited through his son Jesus it is my dream, as, as we know, experience, and uh, perceive, excuse me, and experience God's great love for us, that he will continue to grow our affections towards the things that matter most to him. Salvation of the lost, forgiveness for sins, walking in holiness, 
as we see Christ as our greatest treasure and as our greatest joy. And last but definitely not least, it's my desire that as God's beloved church that we'll better learn how to handle and how to maintain the right motives and motivations to engage this world with the power of God's spirit and the truth of his word. The power of his spirit and the truth of his word. So let's begin with this first word, engage. This comes from, again, this first aspect of our mission statement, engage the lost and marginalized with the truth of the gospel. So what does it mean to engage with something or someone? According to the Oxford Dictionary, engage means this. It means to occupy, attract, or involve someone's interest and or attention. It is to participate or to become involved in someone's life or someone's experiences. You know, I had this experience actually yesterday while actually writing this very, these very words on my computer screen. I was about five o'clock yesterday, and I was at Synagogue, my favorite place to go to sermon write. So if you ever want to come and bother me, I'll probably be there on a Friday. Um, you can stop by anytime. I'll buy you a coffee if you need it. It'll be a small cup because I, <laughs> I can't buy everybody coffee on Friday, so it'll be a small cup. But as I was in the corner writing and typing out this sermon, all of a sudden, out the blue, a young woman barges into Synergos, and she is in excruciating pain. It seems like she's been through some traumatic experiences, and in the midst of about 15 to 20 people, everyone is reading books and playing uh, Connect Four and writing sermons and doing everything that you do in a coffee shop. This woman busts open the door and yells and says, someone help me! And to no avail, everyone just kind of looked at her and just kind of turned away and ignored her cry for help. Immediately, I looked up and I saw that this woman obviously had some, some maybe mental concerns and issues, but, but it seemed like she was needing, in need of some attention. So I casually uh, walked up to her and talked to her a little bit, um, got her name, got her chair to sit down, got her some water. The supervisor that was at the shop then graciously went behind the, the counter, grabbed the phone, and called the ambulance, and, and we kind of helped the situation out. But one of the things that most, was most appealing to me and most striking to me is that in the midst of the cry for help, very little people responded. It's almost as if this kind of happens every day. And I don't go to Center Goss a lot. I know you guys probably go a lot more than I do because I don't really like coffee. I pretend I like coffee so I can have coffee dates with you guys. <laughs> That's the truth. That is the truth. <laughs> I've learned to, I'm liking it. I don't know if this happens all the time, but for many people that was in that shop, it was just kind of like, this is just business as usual. There was no engagement. There was no stopping. There was no asking, how can I help you? It was almost as if this woman had been a distraction more than needing help. So why should we engage with the world? Why does engagement matter? Well, the first point of our topic today is because of this. It's because God has always engaged with the world. God has always engaged with the world. From the very beginning of the creation story, we witness God's spirit enabling um, and engaging within his creation. Hear the words of Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2 from the very beginning. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. See here from the very beginning that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, if you will, is present in the midst of creation. Moreover, the Bible says that when God created mankind, he did so in a very particular way. Look with me in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Genesis 2, 7 puts it this way. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And at that point, the man became a living being, or other translations say that man became a living soul. Why is this important? Why do we talk about this? Well, I love what Dr. Eric Mason talks about this in his book, Urban Apologetics. He says it this way. He says, while we affirm that our identity is in Christ, our value didn't start at justification, but at creation. Our identity in Christ is a culmination of our value. It's not the beginning of our value. God valued us even while we were sinners, according to Romans 5, 8. So our ethnic value doesn't change in salvation, but it does. It is given redemptive clarity as it is brought under the cross. Furthermore, even after Adam and Eve had forsook, uh, have forsook the rule and reign of God in the garden, we witness God's intentional engagement despite the active presence of sin in their lives. See this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Remember, uh, it reads this way. It says, so the Lord God, after they had sinned, it says, so the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Theologians call this aspect of God um, being actually the first act or the first missionary. God being the first missionary, missio Dei is what they talk about, is that God was the first missionary. He is the first one who went after the lost person, the first lost person in the world or persons in the world, Adam and Eve. You know, I know you heard this before, but I think as we start 2023, it's a good reminder for us. Notice here the question God doesn't ask Adam, right? He doesn't ask Adam, Adam, what did you do? He doesn't ask Adam, why did you do it? He doesn't even ask Adam, what are you going to do about it? The most important question on God's mind is not what, it's not why, it's not how you're going to rectify the situation, the most important question to God here is where? This is not a question about Adam's placement, but it is a question about his proximity. It's not a question about Adam's disobedience, but it is a question about his distance. It's not a question about Adam's ignorance, but it is a question about Adam's intentions. He doesn't ask, what did you do? Because if he asks, what do you do? That's all about responsibility. 
When my kids do something wrong in the house, that's the first thing I ask. What did you do? Because <laughs> it's probably not what I asked you to do, right? <laughs> amen, parents? I see some amens. All right. I won't be by myself. He didn't ask, why did you do it? He doesn't ask for justification or reason. He doesn't even ask, what are you going to do about it? Because ask that question insinuates restitution, right? That you have to make right what you have done wrong. But the question that God asks is a question that we should never forget. Where are you? And the reason why that question is so important is because that question is not about responsibility. It's not about reason. It's not about restitution. That question hangs in the balance of the most important thing that God values, which is relationship. He desires to have a relationship with us. He desires for us to be close. He desires for us to be near to him and to have nothing be an obstacle between us and him. The question that he asks is where? You know, as we begin a new year, it's a, it's a very paradoxical thing, right? Because you begin a new year, but yet so much seems the same, right? <laughs> It just seems like you have a new date. You got to go buy a new calendar for your refrigerator. If you still use, we still use calendars at our house. But uh, if you still use calendars, you have to buy a new calendar on your on your for your refrigerator. But it's so ironic that this ancient question finds still finds co- connectivity with us today. Where are you? Where are you in your relationship to God? How is your relationship with God, and how do you seek to grow it? I think this is a very important question for all of us to think about. As you engage with 2023, it's not just about what things can you accomplish or the goals and vacations that you can take. Praise God for those things. But listen, our souls can't find true rest until they find rest in Jesus Christ, God's Son. So as we think about and as we plan out and as we strategize and as we maneuver throughout the year, one of the most important questions that we need to consider at the very beginning of this 2023 year is this question that Adam asked God, where are you? You know, so far we've witnessed how God and his spirit has interacted with the world and has engaged with the world, but what did engagement from God's son Jesus look like? How did Jesus engage with the world? In my opinion, one of the best, if not the best pictures of Jesus' engagement with the world is seen in two places. Number one, John 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, looking at verse 14 as well, and Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. John 1, chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 14 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 reads, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Notice here how Jesus engaged with the world. John describes describes Jesus as not just coming next to us, but dwelling among us. 
What does it mean that Jesus dwelt among us? Well, the Greek word for dwell is synonymous with the following terms, to encamp or to occupy, to reside, or as we have here in this, in this uh, scripture verse here, to dwell. In other words, it means that Jesus didn't just show up for a season. It means that Jesus didn't just show up for a a specific time, that Jesus showed up, he intentionally took the time to make himself known or to make himself knowable to us. He abided with us, he ate with us, he wept with us, he lived with us. He experienced the same joys and the same sorrows as us. He experienced the same times of laughter, but also the times of uncomfortability as us. Why is this important to you? Why should this be important to you that Jesus took the time to make himself known? Because, well, it's because uh, we can't know God apart from God first revealing himself to us. I know we say that, and I know we know that theologically, right? We understand that, but This brings beauty to the mystery of what it means for Jesus to come to dwell with us. It's a good reminder that our God is knowable. And in Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, he defines knowable or being knowable as a theological term that refers to the fact that we can know true things about God And that we can know God himself and not simply facts about him. You know, there's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. And we want to be a church who actually knows God and not just know things about God. So in what specific ways has Jesus made himself knowable to us? I think we see that most clearly in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. He says this. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or to be grasped or to be held onto. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Beloved, be reminded and be encouraged that Jesus chose to reveal himself as God's humble and sacrificial servant. How did Jesus reveal himself as God's humble and sacrificial servant? Well, one of the clearest examples of Jesus' humble and sacrificial engagement with the world was in the ways that he intentionally and purposefully engaged with the lost, the poor, and the marginalized of the society. You know, one of the greatest things about to know a person and to understand them is not just looking at how they respond to people who can benefit them, but looking at how they respond to people who can't give them any benefit, who can't give them likes on their Instagram page or can't give them money for their fundraising projects or who can't provide a scholarship for them to go and attend a university or seminary or college. How do you respond to those people who you can't benefit from? Those who 
can't elevate your status in life, those who can't give you a greater platform to be seen and to be noticed, how do you respond to those people? Well, that's a part of the next part of the phrasing of our, of our mission statement, the first part of our mission statement. We're not just called to engage, but we're called to engage a specific segment of society, engage the lost and the marginalized with the truth of the gospel. Notice here, we're not just called to engage with the world, but to engage with a particular segment within our society, the, the lost and the marginalized. But who are these people? In 1974, author and theologian Francis Schaeffer wrote a commentary on the Gospel of Luke appropriately entitled, No Little People. And in it, he records Jesus' purposeful and intentional engagement with those who are neglected by the rich and the powerful of this world, namely the poor and the marginalized within our society. You know, in my opinion, Jesus' engagement with the poor, the lost, and the marginalized was most clearly personified in how he chose to relate to women. Here's our second point. If the first point that we talked about, that God has always engaged the world, why should we engage? Well, because Jesus' engagement with women, widows, and the weary. We see a beautiful example of what it means to interact and to engage with the lost and the marginalized. The Gospel of Luke in particular does a wonderful job of giving voice to Jesus' intentional engagement with the most marginalized group in society, namely women. Look with me in Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 39. It says this, after he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. See Jesus' care for a woman who is sick, Peter's mother-in-law who is bedridden due to a fever, and Jesus has compassion for her. Now, some theologians might look at this and say, well, Jesus only healed her to, that, they, that, that she might serve him. No, 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 that's not the case at all. This is an aspect of Jesus carefully and entering in and engaging with the aspects of the world that only he could engage with and have victory over. Luke 7 speaks something similar. Luke 7, verses 11 through 15 reads this way. Afterwards, he was on his way uh, to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he entered the town of the gate, a dead man was being carried out, and he was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped, and he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Love this later on in the same chapter of Luke chapter 7. You see another aspect of Jesus, again, engaging with women, the widows, and the weary. He says, then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at uh, his feet. 
weeping and began, began to wash his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. We see here, and I encourage you to continue to read the text to understand more clearly, but we clearly see through Jesus' response to this man that Jesus knew exactly who this woman was, and that's why he allowed her to come near, and that's why he allowed her to touch her. Last but definitely not least, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, story in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 48 reads this way. It says, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, who has spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming in on you and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We see time and time again, and there are many more examples that we can provide throughout the text and throughout the stories and the Gospels of Jesus' purposeful engagement with women, women that he loved and adored, and women that he gave value to, even when society and societal standards could not and would not give them value. Not only did Jesus engage with women, but he also engaged with the poor and the despised of the world. Luke 6, verse 20 says this. It says, blessed are the poor because the kingdom of God is yours. In Luke 7, verses 21 through 22, we see, you hear these words. At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits. And he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, go and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. Again, Jesus not only engaged with women, he not only engaged with poor, but we also see throughout the text of him engaging with the lost. In Luke 19, verse 10, he says these words, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. <laughs> the lost. So far we talked about what engagement entails and, and who we're called to engage with. Now in this final section, let's turn our attention to the content of our engagement. Look with me to the third and final phrase of this first sentence. It says, engage the lost and the marginalized with the truth of the gospel. Notice here, we engage not just with our presence, but we engage with our proclamation. So what are we to proclaim to the lost, the marginalized? What are we to proclaim to the despised and to the lost? You know, throughout history, there have been many profound sayings about life and faith in general. Confucius said these words. He said, life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. Amen to that, brother Confucius. 
agree with that one. Eleanor Roosevelt says it this way. She says, life must be lived and curiosity kept alive. One must never, for whatever reason, turn his back on life. Dwight L. Moody wrote these words, faith makes all things possible. Love makes all things easy. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote this. He says, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Last but not least, Mark Twain wrote these words. He says, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. And the day you find out why. You know, despite despite all these profound statements, and there are many more that we can dig up and that we can elaborate on, no one has ever pressed upon humanity the reality of their identity quite like Jesus. You know, in the Gospel of John, John, Jesus provides the most striking and transformative words ever made in the history of the world. He simply proclaims this. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, I am a way. He doesn't say, I am a truth. He doesn't say, I am a life. This is by far the boldest claim to be made by a human being in all of human history. This is Christ's claim of himself This is his words and not ours. He made this claim. Why should this be important to you? Well, it should be important to you because essentially what Jesus is saying is this. You can't know God apart from me. You can't know God. You can't engage with him. You can't have relationship with him. You can't know God. You can't be accepted by him. You can't be redeemed by him. You can't be loved by him except through me. What do you do with this reality? What do you do with the reality that Jesus is the only and exclusive way to God? What do you do with the reality that you can't know God apart from Christ? How can this claim or how does the claims of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, how does it affect your life? How does it affect your relationship and friendship with other people? How does it affect your marriage? How does it affect your parenting? This claim is so important. It's so important, yes, because Jesus said it, but it's also important because of the context of the proclamation. You see, in the context, Jesus proclaimed this wonderful transformative, striking proclamation that I am the way, the truth, and the life in a context that's more volatile and hostile than the one that we sit in today. Jesus had the unmitigated audacity 
to press upon humanity that his proposition is antithetical to every other proposition, option, and opinion. And he's fundamentally claiming that what he's saying is truth. And this is the essence of what truth is, right? Truth is a collection of propositions that if everything they say is correct, then everything else that anyone else says has to be false. And listen, beloved, Jesus meant what he said. And he demonstrated this reality of saying, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He demonstrated by graciously being killed on a tree that he created. He demonstrated by humbly being placed in a borrowed tomb. And he demonstrated it by miraculously being uh, providing this reality through a victorious and indisputable resurrection from the dead on the third day. Jesus is not just a proclaimer of truth. He is truth embodied. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And all other truths, all other ways, all other lives fail in comparison to him. Why should we engage? Why do we engage? Why are we called to engage? We're called to engage, number one, because God is always engaged with the world. We're called to engage in a particular way, into a particular context, to the lost and the marginalized. Why? Because Jesus himself gave us a model of engaging with the the women of his age, the widows and the weary. But we don't just engage with our presence. We engage with something to say. And what we have to say is that Jesus is king, that Jesus reigns, that he is the Lord of lords, that he is the king of kings, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way to God apart from him. Beloved, as we engage this world Don't forget that this engagement is not just for the world. This engagement is also for us. Because as much as we talk about the lost and the marginalized and the poor and the weary, we are the lost at times and we are the weary and we are the marginalized. We don't just proclaim to others what we have not experienced ourselves. We we are one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Let me give you a couple of ways if you're thinking about the question, what does it look like for you to engage, maybe even more, in the life of our community this year, even as we begin 2023. Let me give you a couple of ideas and thoughts to hopefully spur your mind. Number one, I meant to get some from the welcome desk, but if you go to the welcome desk, there are some invite cards there. Uh, On the back, we have uh, different languages. Um, I think we have French. Um, We have um, Swahili. We have Arabic. If you have interact with neighbors and friends who you want to invite them to come and hear the truth of the gospel each week, we give those cards out for you for free because we want you to be able to engage with your neighbors and your family members and your coworkers and your relatives and your nieces and nephews and your grandchildren with the gospel. And this is a quick and easy way. Just yesterday, even as I was at Synagogue's writing this sermon, I handed out two or three cards to some different people that God 
just allow me to interact with even in my short time there. Just a good way to have. Put in your pocket, um, put in your wallet, your purse, just as you, God opens up doors, you have an opportunity to invite. After we get through our mission statement um, series the next three weeks, we're going to be starting a new series called Neighboring Well, and you can see that right behind me. Um, We're excited to be able to read a book together called Place for a Purpose. It's a book study that we'll be doing in our CG groups, um, and the authors of those books actually will be coming, by God's grace, coming and joining with us later in the year to do a conference. But we want to know and learn together what does it mean to engage well with the world and the place that God has given us. Um, So we're going to try to dive deep as we go into this value of missionality. Um, Coming soon, with the help of Thor, thank you, Thor, uh, Anderson, he's been a a great intern, a great friend, I really appreciate his hard work. Um, This year, we also are going to be offering um, some seminars that we are calling Brutally Honest, Real Talk About Jesus in the Bible. And essentially what we're going to do is every fourth Sunday, we're going to have an opportunity for you to invite friends and family. Now, this, listen, this is for you. You could come, but this is not really for you. It's for those who are thinking about or questioning different aspects of the faith. We're going to have different topics for people to think about. Why can, uh, why should we, uh, how can we know that the Bible is true? Isn't Christianity a white man's religion? As you have engaged with these questions and thoughts with different people, how can we trust that Jesus really rose from the dead? We're going to have scholarly people, men, pastors here to engage with these questions and to have people to have a Q&A session so they can understand and understand the truth of God's word um, in a context that is um, open and honest um, and um, has a dialogue kind of atmosphere. Um, So be on the lookout for that in the coming months uh, that's coming up. Uh, we also are starting, thanks to B.J. Wright and others who have helped out, we're starting an um, NBA basketball league, starting actually in about a week or so. Right now, we have about 40 uh, kids, 40 to 50 kids signed up, which is great. Um, we're excited to partner with the NBA to give replica jerseys so kids can actually think they're Steph Curry without being Steph Curry, which is great. Um, but if you want to ch- help out with that, we still need help. We need coaches. We need volunteers. If you are not Um, understand the game of basketball, that's fine. We still need people to be there to help with concession needs, um, clock management, refereeing, um, and uh, and just to honestly be be in engagement with the families that are there. So as they are there with watching their children play the game of basketball, uh, we need people to engage with them, to talk to them, to get to know their names, to hear their story, to pray with them, because a lot of times there are great opportunities to do that in that context. And last but not least, um, I want to give you a personal invitation. Um, My wife has invited me into this, and I want to invite you into it as well. There's an app that's called uh, Practice Devo. Um, This is for those who maybe have a hard time getting to God's Word. You want something that's simple, fresh, and easy just to get you started for the new year. This is a great devotional. Um, What they do is they give you a word, they give you a word. They give you the scripture where that word came from. Um, they give you ex, uh, like a small devotion, and then they give you a prayer. Each, each app, is you can read this thing in less than three minutes. But if you're looking for a way to just kind of jumpstart your faith, you're looking for something just to kind of dive in for 2023 to start and establish that relationship with God um, through his word, this is a great opportunity um, and a great resource for you if you're looking for something new and something um, engaging. 
Three points of application, and we're going to leave, and uh, we'll transition to our time of communion. Uh, number one, I just want to remind you of this. Engagement reminds, of, reminds us of who God is. Why do we talk about engagement? Why is engagement important? Number one, because it reminds us of who God is. We're reminded who the true hero of the story is. And listen, it's God and it's not us. God is the one who is engaged with sin. He is the one who sent his son's blood for the, for the uh, forgiveness of sin. And he's the one that's going to send them again for the eradication of sin. God is the one who's dealing with sin. He's engaging with this broken world and he calls us to do the same under his power, and under his authority. Engagement also reminds us of God's great love for us, right? That while we were yet sinners, right, Christ died for us. Reminds us that God intentionally engages with us despite our weakness, weaknesses, our flaws, and our failures. Last but not leastly, engagement reminds us that this world needs engagement, right? Engagement reminds us that this world needs engagement. We're reminded that we're not the one holding on to God, that God is actually the one holding on to us. He's the one that's holding your hand. He's the one that's keeping you. And how did he do that? By engaging with a fallen and broken world through the beauty, the death, burial, resurrection of his son. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you that you have given us this time. Thank you for calling us as a church to a place of engagement. God, would you bless the work of our hands? God, we don't want to engage as ignorant people. God, we want to engage the lost and the marginalized because we are lost and marginalized often, God. We want to engage them not just with our presence, but with the proclamation that Jesus is King, that he is Lord. Help us, Lord, to not be ashamed of the gospel, to proclaim the truths of the gospel Um, in our lives, um, in our embodiment as we navigate through this world. Jesus, I ask that you would draw near to us. Father, save souls, even in this place, Lord. People who may be thinking or not realizing or understanding that your engagement with this this world is for their freedom, is for their restoration, is for their redemption. Remind them of that, Lord, truth. Father, for those who maybe have a hard time believing or understanding that, would you give them grace? Would you give them grace to hear and receive the words that have been spoken over them today? We love you and thank you, and we praise you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor of Soldier and Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a multi-ethnic church that is firmly rooted in the diverse community of South Louisville. We are seeking to equip our members for gospel engagement and practical, effective ministry to the poor, the marginalized, and disenfranchised here in the south end of Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit our website or email us at info at God bless.